Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Friday, and it's all good. You are watching AM to DM. Okay, before we get into all things Mueller, let's start off with a little joy. Here's a tweet from Lizzo. Three years have been leading up to this moment right here. I'm crying because I love you. Album out now. Woo, congratulations, Lizzo. Here's a tweet from Lizzo's number one fan, (laughs) Isaac Fitzgerald. Me going back and forth between Beyonce's homecoming live (laughs) album and Lizzo's new album, because I love you. It's true. I'm just like, I'm like literally this morning I woke up. Listen, homecoming, I was dancing on the way out of the building yesterday. I was listening (laughs) to big brass bands. I absolutely love it. This morning, all of a sudden, this album drops and I was dancing on my way into work. Absolutely fantastic. I'm just feeling very blessed right now. Yeah. We'll get to all the Mueller report stuff in a moment, but what a week for music. Black women are the only good thing that are happening. <laughs> just really, really feeling it for you. Thank Truth. you. Thank Truth. you. Yeah. We appreciate <laughs> you. What about, are uh, you like in homecoming? Are you going back and forth? Are you- oh, I'm pretty still, I'm pretty deep in, in homecoming mm-hmm. still um, because it's it, the, the new arrangements and everything. There's still so much to kind of get to. So I'm still like noticing new things and kind of listening. Um, I'm so excited about Lizzo's new album. I love her. I love her music. I love just her philosophy. Mm. Um, I love her podcast. Look it up. It's called Good as Hell. The first interview is with Lil Kim. Like, she's just great in and, and so many different ways. Um, I like the song, um, That's Exactly How I Feel. Yeah, with Gucci Mane. Yeah, Gucci Mane. That mm. was the one I was like, okay, I'm going to be into <laughs> that. But she has such a range and is such a wonderful lyricist as well as singer and musician and flautist. Um, one of my favorite lyrics she has on the album is... Um, uh, the only exes I'm thinking about are my X chromosomes. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. The only exes I care about. Yep. Amen, so amen. I really was into, uh, I mean, that just even the opening that, I'm sorry, because I love you, yeah. it's just such, a, it's a song that makes me want to move my body. That's your favorite The line, I mean, yet, because that's the yeah. thing, I'm still like, we're usually playing it in the studio before. We are, I love it. <laughs> but like, I don't even want to hoe no more. Like, oh. Oh, it it's speaks really to me. She's so great. thank you for that. Uh, but let's take it to the timeline, all right? We've got two great albums out now. What's your approach going to be to listening to them? Do you listen to one, then the other? Do you alternate every other song, play one out, and then start listening to the next one? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. What about with books? Do you have like... With books, I definitely have to do one at a time. Same. Because, you know, you kind of have to, like, a good book, um, I've been told, like, teaches you how to read it. It's mm. like, this is a, this is the rules for the world mm. I've created. So if you're really immersed in that world and then kind of coming out, I kind of need a break before I can go and learn a new way of reading. Absolutely. That makes sense. What Absolutely. about you? Yeah, say, for me, especially, like, with music, I can do a little bit of that uh-huh. back and forth. I can jump into this world. I can jump into that world. Book, I need to start it finish it before I can pick up something else. Absolutely same. That's fair. Speaking of book-length things, though. (laughs) Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News justice reporter and all-around brilliant mind, Zoe Tillman. Mueller wrote in his report that if his office had confidence that Trump clearly did not commit obstruction, we would state so. But Mueller wrote that, based on the facts and legal standards, they were unable to reach that judgment. Wow. All right. Zoe joins us now. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, guys. Hi. Okay, so there's so many hot takes out there right now. It just the whole- So many threads. Again, just a lot of homecoming for me, a lot of Lizzo, but we gotta get into this. Is it safe to say that the Mueller report is a bit more nuanced than Barr's initial four-page summary? (laughs) I I would say that's accurate. Um, 
And I think what's even more striking is not only is it a lot more complicated and nuanced than Barr's four-page summary, you know, it's a lot more complicated than the quotes that Barr pulled in his four-page letter from Mueller's actual report. Um, we saw those quotes in context, and they were a bit different from how the attorney general presented them. So I think, you know, for everyone making their hot takes based on the attorney general yesterday was a real eye-opener. Okay, well, let's talk about Ms. Diagonal Angles herself, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, there have, were some interesting details in the report about things she has said at press briefings. Can you talk about that? That's right. Um, so when former FBI Director James Comey was fired, which seems like 10 years ago, I don't even remember now, um, the, the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, had said that one of the reasons or a primary reason was that rank and file at the FBI had lost confidence in him. And Comey has pushed back on that. And what we learned in the report is that Sarah Sanders herself told the special counsel's office that that was not founded on anything. It was just fabricated. Uh, it was a lie. And that was a lie that was repeated to the American people. Um, so I think we had a number of instances where we saw White House officials admitting to the special counsel office, understandably, because if you lie to them, you could face criminal charges, um, whereas the stakes are not necessarily as high when you address the American people in one sense, um, where they lied. And all that information came out in the several hundred pages that we read yesterday. Wow, I wonder if she's flipping through it. She's like, man, I was really hoping that part would be redacted. Shit. Yeah, like, son of a... Uh, here's the part I uh, gotta ask about it. There's a reference, maybe allegedly, to... I hate this phrase so much. I don't. The P-tape? Yes, <laughs> it's not called that in the report. Uh, it's, they simply refer to it as the tapes, um, which is even maybe more exciting or enticing mm. than saying P-tape. Um, yeah, so basically this has been uh, a thing lurking around since BuzzFeed News published the Steele dossier, uh, which talked about the existence, maybe possibly, of a tape that showed prostitutes urinating in front of the president in a hotel room. This tape has never surfaced. Uh, it's never been seen as far as anyone knows, at least not publicly reported. And what Mueller says in a footnote in the report is that a U.S.-based Russian businessman had been communicating with Trump's former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. And this businessman had said that he had basically taken care of the tapes to send this to Cohen. Um, but according to the special counsel's office, this businessman had been told, we don't know by whom, that the tapes were not real uh, or didn't exist. And so that's all we get on that front. Um, someone who has acknowledged them and told Michael Cohen about them, but says he was of the understanding that they weren't real. So they were not included as an attachment, as some hope they might be, to the report. Um, and that's where we're at on that right now. I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. okay with that. If you're Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, here's my question. Of course, you know, listen, if I were any way involved with any of this, I can't imagine the stress that I would be under at, throughout this whole process. But here's something I wanted to know. Are there people who, before the report came out, maybe weren't so stressed out, and now, because of the details in the report, are there people who are like, oh, no, now I'm under the gun in a way that I did not think I was before? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, the special counsel's office was not shy about bringing criminal charges against people who lied 
in the course of the investigation. That was, frankly, the majority of charges that we saw uh, in terms of the types of cases were making false statements. And so if someone lied to the special counsel's office, odds are they were prosecuted for it already. Um, when the special counsel office ended his investigation, they said that there were no other indictments out there from them. Um, whether certain other matters have been referred out to other U.S. attorney offices, we don't have the full picture on that. We know that some cases were. We know that there was redacted information related to ongoing investigations or ongoing matters. So there are other threads out there, um, but it's not immediately clear who specifically might still be in trouble that we don't already know about. That we don't already know about. You did say, let's talk real quick about those redactions. How much of the document was redacted? And Zoe, what were some of the other big takeaways, uh, you know, that you, you've been covering this for so long that stood out to you that we haven't yet mentioned? Right. So my colleague, um, Nidhi Prakash, did some great work on this yesterday, and she found that roughly a third of the report uh, a third of the pages included some kind of redaction, whether it was a single word, a line, or an entire chunk of text, um, and that there were maybe a dozen pages that were just completely blacked out. And we know this morning, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, has issued a subpoena for the full report. Uh, we have BuzzFeed News has a Freedom of Information Act request, as does another group out there, seeking more information from behind the redactions, more information from Mueller's office. So really, this is just the beginning of the fight over what's behind those tantalizing black bars in the report. Um, as far as other conclusions, it's there's just so much to unpack. On the one hand, we learned a lot more about how Russians interfered in the 2016 election, how they used social media to do it, how they impersonated real people, and in some cases even got real media outlets to pick up what they were posting and attribute it to real people. Um, so the interference was real and it was fairly, it was insidious. Um, and then on the obstruction side, it was uh, a damning report. It was a portrait of an administration where the president in every turn, as Mueller said, was trying to use his authority to in some way get in the way of the investigation, try to scale it back. Um, and although Mueller didn't ultimately conclude whether or not he thought there was a crime committed, what he did say is that the president in these efforts to carry out what might have been potentially obstructive acts ultimately wasn't successful because the people around him refused to do what he wanted them to do. It wasn't that the president wasn't trying to do this. It was that his senior aides his lawyers in the White House were hearing him, listening to him, walking out of the room and shaking their heads and going, I'm not doing that. Wow, which that is, I saw someone say, listen, if this isn't a damning report, I would hate to see what a damning report would look mm. like. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Sure thing. He's really one of the only people I want to hear from. Absolutely. <laughs> same, 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 same. Um, so, you know, before we get to this next part of the story, I wanted to read uh, this tweet about how Trump has started responding to all of it this morning. Because he sure has. Yeah, here's a tweet from Yamiche Alcindor. Um, President Trump now saying that Mueller report is, quote, total bullshit after earlier praising it for exonerating him. Of course, yesterday, the president and White House aides were saying yesterday was the best day of his presidency. Now, as of this morning, this Friday morning, it seems Trump is watching TV and not liking detailed Mueller reporting. Mm. And I know I am not the first person to say this. I think it's been said here. It's as if the president who does not read forgot that the rest of America does. 
So shout out to literacy friends. Well, here's a tweet <laughs> from CNN's Sam Vinegard. Uh, the Mueller report lays out how far back Russia began its attack on our democracy, at least as early as 2014. The Russia Internet Research Agency, that's IRA, that's what we're talking about here, sent intelligence gathering missions to the United States. And friends, that means it's been five five years or more, and we haven't stopped them. This is still happening. Still happening. David Korn tweeted, Mueller report, page 23. Internal IRA memos show that by early 2016, the goal of Russia's secret social media operation was to support Trump and Bernie Sanders. Main idea, use any opportunity to criticize Hillary and the rest, except Sanders and Trump, we support them. That's okay, there's a, a quote. There's a lot going on there. And we're going to ask about that. Absolutely. Bernie's I mean, this, like Zoe was just saying, this is one lot. of the more shocking things coming out yeah. of the report. Yeah. Don't let the speed of the news cycle trick you into overplaying or underestimating the complexity of the report, mm-hmm. right? Well, BuzzFeed News reporter Ryan Broderick joins us now for some clarity. Ryan, good morning. Morning. Okay, so let's start here. Listen, the acronym IRA, for obvious reasons, is a little confusing. So what exactly is the IRA that we are talking about? They're a Kremlin-backed internet research agency. Their whole existence is to figure out how to manipulate social media in other countries to influence how that society operates politically. So we've seen this play out with the Trump election. There are rumors of this uh, with the UK and Brexit all over the European elections over the last couple of years. They're sort of like the 21st century boogeyman. Uh, the 21st century boogeyman. Which platforms do we have any idea did they have the most success at manipulating and getting their messaging into the mainstream media? Well, I mean, I think a lot is said about Russian Twitter bots, and they are definitely very active on Twitter. But according to what we saw yesterday in the report, they were incredibly prolific on Facebook. Uh, the way they would operate is create a bunch of fake people, use their fake people on Facebook to network with real people, and then build really large groups and and pages to organize what appeared to be grassroots political movements, which are actually totally artificial and being run by people in Russia. Okay, so what stunned me um, about the way you detail what we learned from the report is the effectiveness. At one point, you note that according to Mueller's report, more than 70 U.S. news outlets actually ended up using tweets or Facebook posts in their own content. So this stuff appeared and was attributed to, presumably if you were reading these articles, real people when they were, in fact, bots. Uh, Did that surprise you, or was that something we already understood? I mean, cynically, for me, it didn't surprise me. Mm. I mean, nowadays, it's pretty normal to see a bunch of tweets embedded in a news story, you know, for color or for reaction. The idea that a foreign power could figure out that, oh, no one's probably reaching out to all 15 Twitter users quoted in this story uh, is kind of a no-brainer, right? Like, if, if you were the internet research agency, you'd probably do the same thing. Mm. You'd probably do the same thing. I wanted to ask, I was a little surprised, why Bernie Sanders, right? Like, I can understand the reason for, like, listen, we're going to go after Hillary, we're supporting Trump. Right. Why was Sanders also kind of not getting the same attacks? Not being treated seemingly as a threat to Trump. Well, I think the if you look at the whole sort of scope of what they were trying to do, it wasn't that they were trying to elect Bernie Sanders. It's that they were trying to create so much social division and political unrest that it would disrupt the campaign and hopefully swing it for Trump. So it looks like what they figured was that Clinton could beat Trump if they screwed with the Democratic primaries, then all of a sudden, you know, people can't agree on who should win, causes a bunch of unrest, and then you get Trump winning. 
Okay. So, Ryan, listen, for the last few years, uh, you have, as we mentioned before, you've literally traveled the world covering misinformation and, and, and the impact of trolls, like literally this kind of, of issue and how it's impacted elections everywhere, um, not just here in the United States. This is a big week for us in terms of getting confirmation of a lot of reporting. How do you feel this morning? <laughs> uh, crazy. <laughs> I feel insane because... I think for the I think I'm like a lot of people where for since 2015 we've heard about this stuff but now we have a confirmation that it did happen it was on a scale that we weren't really aware of and by all accounts it worked which I think is the scariest part and because of the way these platforms like Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter work we might never actually know the scale of the influence that this had we don't know it's almost like that movie Inception. We don't know what ideas were inserted into the American public via social media, and we might never know. Wow. And that's what really bothers me. Yeah. I mean, there's a detail where you mentioned, like, that IRA paid a guy to, like, walk around New York City Times Square in a Santa costume with a Trump mask. And when you're like, okay, so the distortion is everywhere. This is just truly... Yeah, it wasn't just happening on a, no. online. It was no. IRL events. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, self-care, Ryan? Self-care, my friend? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's Friday. I'll go to the bar later, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us, Ryan. <laughs> He's like, I'm scared and oh, I don't like it. But I listen, would hug him if I thought it would help. We've got another great show for you today. The creator and star of the Netflix series Losers is here. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. All right. Welcome back and take a little break from the Mueller report with these fire tweets. Nightmare, you tweeted, friend, stop cursing. My mom can hear you. Me. Oh shit, bitch. My bad. Yeah, I'm that's Every me. time that, that truly is me. I feel like that was you as a child. Yeah. Oh, it's just my entire life. Like, which is <laughs> here's the thing. I just never, and I still feel the same way. I've never bought into the idea that cursing um, is somehow proof of your limited understanding of the human language. I'm like, no, it, it, I argue it speaks to my embrace of all of it, um, and I know I'm a smart bitch. I understand so. that theory, that's great, <laughs> but you sound like somebody that's never been hit by a mother's shoe before. Uh, like, I, I understand the elegancy of everything you've said, but a mom will still hit you for swearing, even if you make that beautiful argument. You don't think my mama was cursing? I'm sure she <laughs> Here's a tweet from Hannah Baxter. You tweeted, oh, and I love this. Uh, just watched a man bringing home a goldfish on the train, accidentally popped the bag. Fish flops onto the floor. Three people swarm in to save him, the fish, not the man. A guy chugs the last of his coffee and throws the fish in his cup. Lady next to him empties her water bottle into the cup. <laughs> I just love a New York City story. This is such a New York City subway yes. story. Yeah. I, there's so many stories. We have friends like one of our coworkers here, Sachi. She got overheated and passed out on a train, and she like she woke up, and a woman was like taking immediately care taking care of her. Tommy O'Barrow, the yeah. same thing happened. Yep, like, someone yep. jumping in, like it's. I, I once, I once, a guy was walking on the subway, and I he, his phone fell. I yes. grabbed it on the ground and tossed it. The doors were closed, and he caught. Yeah. It was like a brilliant oh, moment. Yeah, like even actually just last week, I was running to get a subway, and, and the doors closed, and I missed it. And I turned and was doing that like thing. Yeah. And the next day, I hear people inside going, "Come on, come on!" Because the conductor had opened. They were like, "Come on, come on, come on, come on!" And I'm so like, it's "I love it." The only thing that makes the hellscape that is the MTA <laughs> possible, like yeah. I'll still like to this day, I'll be like, "Oh, is it worth it?" It's like, might get a story though. <laughs> 
right, you ready? Yeah. is nice, you tweeted, white man, you can't sit here. Rosa Parks, why not? White man, because you already have a place in my heart. Oh my God. Ancestry.com logo with a soft fade out. And Did you see this like, video? I, listen, I tried to avoid watching the Ancestry commercial. Ooh. I was like, I'm not gonna watch it. It is so terrible. I, I, wanna, I wanna know what ad agency mm-hmm. like put it together for Ancestry.com. I want, I want an oral I want history name. of how it came out. Yeah, I wanna know who, was who in pitched the, the idea. Like guys, listen, the, it was not a romance story in slavery between white masters and their slaves. It was rape. That's what it's called. Abigail doesn't have a choice. There's a reason she doesn't speak in the commercial, by the way. Like it's just, Man, if you don't know man. what we're talking about, Ancestry.com released an ad yesterday, then they pulled it as quickly as possible. It literally had a black woman walking up to a white man, and Ooh. he was like, we're going to make it across the border, like our level thirds yeah. there. Then it went to Ancestry.com. It was a fade out, just like it was described as the logo. And it said, uh, if not for you, the story ends here. Un, and I think it was like, un, find chapters yeah. in your lost history. Yeah. First off, here's the thing. <laughs> that chapter's rape, like Saeed it's just rape. said. Yes, many black women, if they go to Ancestry.com and do the DNA, they will find white men in their past. It's not a fucking pretty story. Yeah. Secondly, on the other side of things, it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna find your fucking great-great-uncle white people, and he was so wonderful. No, he probably owned yeah. slaves. Yikes. Anyways, they sorry. Got some, Fuck, they got some. You fucked up Ancestry.com. Y'all got some work to do That was there. all one way. I'm sorry, I got mad. And if y'all want to pay me a lot of money to help me know. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> Not enough money in the world. Yeah, shout out to everybody giving your DNA to this great company that we can totally trust to make good decisions. Anyway, ready for Tweet of the Day? I mean, am I? Let's go. Tweet of the Day comes from Kima Jones. It is I, eldest sibling, king of the family with the Netflix premium plan, Hulu with no commercials and live TV plan, Spotify with no ads family plans, and do you know... Not one person texted me today to thank me for Beyonce. To which I say, it's not too late. If you watched Homecoming, if you're listening to Homecoming on a streaming service that you're not paying for, but you're borrowing it from a friend, I'm not speaking for myself here, maybe I am, (laughs) it's not too late to send that person a lovely text. Just send them a beautiful, thoughtful text saying thank you so much. Fuck that, Kima, no good deed. (laughs) Change those passwords, lady. Change those passwords. They didn't say thank you yet. You wait until the next episode of Game of Thrones comes out and you get that away from me. Okay, coming up, (laughs) I'll be sitting down with Mickey Dujay, the creator of Losers, and Michael Bent, who's the first episode of the series, Incredible Boxer. But up next, we are going live from the district. <laughs> you pulled those back. <laughs> Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter, Lisandra Villa. Good morning, Lisa. Good Friday morning. Happy, happy day after Mueller Report Day. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with that. I, I like that you're putting a bright shine on it. Well, yeah. I am not up on that for now. Well, uh, here's a tweet from Jim McGovern, a Democratic congressman from Massachusetts. And I know we already did fire tweets, but we might need to get that siren going. Uh, Attorney General Barr outright lied during his press conference today. It is now clear that he is not America's chief law enforcement officer, but Donald Trump's personal attorney, bloop, and partisan attack dog, bloop, bloop. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. He has lost the trust and confidence of the American people, and he should resign. Thank you. Lisa, um, how many Democrats are echoing these very strong, but I don't think, you know, isolated sentiments? 
Definitely not. Yesterday, we kind of started keeping track of the House Democrats who were coming out to call on Barr to resign. And it started off with one, but then there was another, and then there was another, and we're, we're just all at handful right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of days, as things keep sinking in, more Democrats come out um, to, to say Barr should step aside. You know, the Democrats were clearly angry yesterday. And, and this is one of the sentiments that came out from that. Absolutely. What is the specific reasoning behind, like if they were to come forward and say, hey, he's got to resign, what would they be pointing to? So the one thing that I would point out is that the the Democrats who are calling on Bard to resign aren't making, the only thing that they're doing is going a step beyond where everyone else is. What everyone is saying is that Trump acted politically to, or I'm sorry, Bard acted politically to defend Trump. And so, so that's kind of what, where they are right now. It's just that a couple of Democrats decided to kind of go over, go over, um, and go beyond that and say, we want him to resign. Barr, remember, is supposed to come in and testify before Congress at the start of May. And, and there's other sentiments wrapped up in that too. A lot of, a lot of Democrats spent a lot of the day yesterday saying, well, Mueller needs to come in. Um, we need to see the full report, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Now, listen, we're going to get to impeachment in a moment, everyone. Don't think we forgot. But for these issues in terms of saying, Mueller, you know, come on and testify or Barr, you need to resign. How is House uh, House Leader uh, Nancy Pelosi responding to those calls? Nancy Pelosi is being classic Nancy Pelosi, where she's being tough, but even-headed, right? She hasn't called on Bard to resign, but she and Chuck Schumer did put out a joint statement yesterday saying that, basically calling Barr out and saying that what was in the Mueller report was at odds with how he presented it. They weren't happy. Nancy Pelosi has also uh, also immediately got on the Judiciary Committee's um, uh, bandwagon in, in saying that Mueller needs to come in and testify before Congress, so she's been backing that up. Mm. So not saying he should resign yet, but definitely saying, listen, man, you've messed up. Mm. Well, Lisa, let's talk about impeachment. Let's talk about it. You tweeted, AOC came out in support of Rashida Tlaib's impeachment resolution today. It gives House Judiciary Committee free reign to investigate whether Trump should be impeached. All right, so that's AOC. Lisa, who else is using the big I word? There aren't a ton of Democrats who are calling for impeachment. And this is something that I've been keeping track of for the last, I mean, honestly, two years now, right, is when will Democrats start talking about impeachment? And this hasn't typically gone over well within the caucus because a lot of Democrats are saying, you know, even if there was evidence there, we'd be hard pressed to find a Republican who could get on board with that. Um, so, So Democrats have been very hesitant to walk down that road, especially a lot of them were around, you know, for, for the last time that this went down. And they're like, no, no, this this isn't a path we want to go back. We want to go down. It's very divisive. Um, so House leadership, Nancy Pelosi included, have been saying they don't want impeachment. And even as recently as yesterday, we saw Steny Hoyer say impeachment. I don't know about that, but there's an election coming up. Right. And, and that's my question. How are how are Democrats and particularly leaders like Nancy Pelosi and, and Senator Hoyer um, kind of framing this in a way that voters understand, like Democrats were voted into power during midterm elections. And I think a lot of voters did that because they were expecting, listen, we want you to take action. So how are they justifying that this is not um, something that will be disappointing to their base? 
Well, beyond saying that it would be divisive to the country, a lot of them are just pointing out the political reality. And AOC actually did that yesterday. She pointed out, you know, even even if you could get all the Democrats in the House on board with this, um, you you would still be dead on arrival um, in the Senate, where there aren't very many Republicans who are willing to side with Democrats on this, and you need that bipartisan support. So, just looking around at the at the political reality, that's where it is. It's not very likely to move forward. Word. Although I do see after yesterday, I did see more more um, desire from the progressive left spring up to see impeachment proceedings go forward. All right. Well, we will leave it there for now. Lisa, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend, guys. You too. All right. Up uh, next, I, I said it's so nice. I almost doubted myself. Yeah, no. I, was I, was like, that, I think that's how much you're so excited for the like, weekend. Sincerity in love was oh, there up was. Next, Stephanie is talking about why we are still so fascinated with grifters. What's up, Aunt Becky? Speaking of no sincerity. <laughs> Welcome back. The summer of scam has been going on all year long and we cannot get enough of this topic. Topic Magazine published a story called The Grifters, 10 Stories of Scams and Scammers. And the authors of that story, Haley Cohen Gilligan and Andy Wright, interviewed scammers, scam victims, and scam baiters. They joined me now. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. So one of the really fascinating things about your guys' piece is you not only talk to scam victims, who I feel like we've heard a lot from, but you talk to people who have done scamming themselves in the past. So I want to start with you, Haley. Were there any common denominators that you found in all 10 of these stories? Um, at least for the people that I interviewed, and you mentioned that we also interviewed people who perpetrated scams themselves. And one thing that I found really interesting was that they seem to also be driven, at least in part, by a desire for human connection. So, um, of course, in some of these, there was a monetary aspect as well and a drive for profit. But for instance, in the case of the um, Nigerian scammer who didn't want to be identified by name, he started uh, catfishing people because it was the cool thing to do and he wanted acceptance among his friends. And then um, Aris Apostopoulos, who's now a writer, um, he began a scam because he was in love with someone who he felt he couldn't express his love to as himself. Um, and so that was, that was just something unexpected and really interesting for me. Yeah, it's basically a lot of these people, You there's a lot more complex emotion going on behind just like you said, a desire for profit or just trying to rip someone off. You guys also interviewed scammer baiters, which is something I had never really heard of before. Could you explain that to me, Andy? Yeah, so scam baiting is um, a phenomenon where people who um, are kind of, I guess, angered by the existence of um, online scamming um, flip the tables and they counter scam a scammer. So they will actually put themselves out there as a potential victim and then they will flip the table on the scammer and try to find a way to discourage them from scamming or just shut their scam down entirely by exposing them, by turning them into the authorities, or by posting their email addresses online with their um, contact information so that when people Google them, um, they will see them exposed as a scammer. One of the scam baiters that you interviewed, Andy, uh had some, let's say, very extreme <laughs> tactics that I was kind of taken aback by when I was reading your article. Could you explain those a bit? 
Yeah, I agree. Um, it was a little shocking to me as well. But um, so he was um, stringing along a person who was pulling a very common scam where somebody tells you, look, the, the system thinks you are dead. Um, and if you pay me a fee, I can fix it for you. Um, and so what he did is he pretended to be a man who was married to a woman and she was going to use this information of his supposed legal death to take his assets. Um, and they staged a scene in which he, uh, seems to murder his wife over the phone while talking to his scammer. Um, and I agree. I, I also found that really shocking and I did, um, I asked him about that, um, why he chose that. Um, and he, um, you know, he thought it was an appropriate way to really shock the scammer uh, into feeling that he had done something deeply wrong um, and, that his, uh, and that what he was doing would create lasting and actual consequences in the real world. Yeah, I guess, you know, there is a frame of mind thinking, okay, we have to be very extreme to actually counteract this because they are being extreme. Hey, Lee, I want to go to you now. Uh, we actually covered this story pretty extensively here at BuzzFeed News when there was this scammer going around pretending to be Wendy Dang Murdoch. And you spoke to some of these scammers' victims. And it was a very interesting story with a lot of moving parts and international thing. <laughs> Can you talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so I think one of the surprising things about that particular interview um, with Henry and Zori, who are travel photographers and Instagram influencers, um, was how much work the people impersonating Wendy Dang Murdoch seemed to put into this scam for not an enormous reward. Um, and I think that that really stuck out. As you said, there were a lot of moving parts. They faked documents to look like classified documents. Um, that were very lengthy and had several um, lengthy calls going over the details with the photographers. Um, they used particular names. So they said that they'd been recommended by an, a real editor at Condé Nast Traveler. Um, they'd clearly done a lot of research, um, you know, and then they faked accents that were believable for, for who they were pretending to impersonate Wendy Dang Murdoch and, and her assistant who was, um, meant to be a New Yorker, so somebody had a thick New York accent. So that that was really shocking. And I think what stuck out to me um, with that particular interview was that probably, th there were definitely some red flags, um, but once again, they had a domain that looked believable. They The photographers did their due diligence. They talked with um, these scammers several times, and I think it just preyed on um, something that, we all have, which is, um, you know, ambition and desires. And clearly, uh, you know, these photographers are trying to make a career for themselves and the scammers preyed on that. Yeah, the complexity of the whole thing and the motivations behind it make you wonder if there are deeper psychological things at play. Mm. Well, I would encourage everyone watching to read this story. It is extremely fascinating. Andy and Haley, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for Thanks having for us. Having us. Okay, so let's take this to the timeline. Have you ever been scammed? Have you known anyone that's ever been scammed in one of these online schemes? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. And up next, more AM2DM. Here's a tweet from Stiffy. Michael Bent said something that rocked me to my core on the Netflix series Losers. I'm always in this place where I'm always trying to find who I am, and that's okay. 
I'm joined now by Mickey DeJay, the creator of Losers, and Michael Bent, former boxer and subject of the first episode of the series. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing very well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming in. We're going to just sh- play a short clip so people can get a sense of what we're talking about here. Let's take a look. She was not expected to actually win the race. It's all about winning, 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 winning. Anybody who goes to a football match expecting to win is an idiot, I think. Oh, oh my dear. He's 100% in his career. Loser. Loser. So, Mickey, man, let's start with you. Why did you want to make a whole series dedicated to failure? Well, I think that we have a very winning-centric society right now mm-hmm. where uh, even though we do we do love underdogs, if they don't pull off the win, we tend to shove them off the stage, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, we always say that we learn more about a life and about ourselves from failures than we do from our successes. And I just thought, well, there are so many amazing subjects who have great character that nobody's asking them what that experience has taught them. Mm. And if there's some wisdom and, and goodness that can come from asking them about their experience and how they endured and persevered through hard times. Uh, so this was an opportunity to do that. All right, what do, you, what do you think it is about American society? Why are we so obsessed with winning? We, we associate virtue with champions and with people who are rich and successful. And we think that people that don't have that are not as virtuous. It's not the case. Yeah, and what about, what, what, what do you think, why do you think American society is so obsessed with winning? Yeah, Michael. Well, you know, I'm an actor, right? Mm-hmm. If I answer that question honestly, I'll never work again. <laughs> no, 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 You're no, like, I'm trying no, to not mess up no, my money. No, no, I'm busting your chops, man. <laughs> um, I think there are several reasons. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we like to feel important. Mm. And when someone loses and we say, that guy's not going to win this fight, mm-hmm. we feel important, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there's also the thing about violence in this country. Well, well, I mean, violence in the world. Mm-hmm. We're born violent. And when we put two people in a ring together mm. who are trying to literally, like, you know, knock their blocks off, mm-hmm. we enjoy that. And we, uh, it vi- vicariously, like, you know, feeds our, our engine. Yeah. You know? And, and we- if the guy we picked wins, then... And we like to feel linked to that. Kind of like a, a guy walking out Absolutely. of Rocky. Well, let me ask you this. How, how did you feel when Mickey comes up to you, Michael? Mm-hmm. He says, I want to tell the story of, 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 of a great loss of yours, a fight that you lost, and, and I want you to be the face of this series called Losers. I was absolutely opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I, I wasn't. No, no, I was, I was, I was flattered uh-huh. and honored uh, and completely unafraid. I was, because um, everyone wants to get a chance to tell their story, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, platform. I've been covered by boxing journalists in, in the past, but like, this was different. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who, we got to know each other real well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, super sensitive guy. I got him, and he got me. Mm-hmm. Sat me down in a chair and said, Mike, let's talk, man. Mm-hmm. And we spoke, just had, had a conversation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an interview, it was a conversation. And that really comes through in the yeah. piece. Mickey, how did you find his story? 
Uh, we were introduced through a mutual friend of ours, a boxing journalist named Bryn Jonathan Butler, who I've collaborated with in the past. And he, uh, we were looking for stories for, for the show where there was a counterintuitive second act. Mm. You know, that came after this, the failure or the loss or whatever. And he was like, you got to meet this guy, Michael Bent. And so the first time that we spoke on the phone, we talked for over two hours. And I just thought, this guy has, has so much honesty and so much character that pulled him through these difficult moments that the story is not just about, oh, you know, swell the string music and talk about this, you know, deeply difficult, humiliating moment of failure. It's about what happened after. Mm. It's the challenging yourself to try and find something positive from that and to, to move on with your life, as so many of us have to do whenever things go sideways with whatever we're dealing with, failed relationships, jobs not working out. Um, and I think that this show coming out and the way that people are responding to the show uh, proves mm -hmm. that even non-professional athletes have to deal with these moments of, of failure and reframing what success and failure looks like in our lives. And I do. I want to. I want to get back to that to that quote that I just read from you, Michael. I'm always in this place where I'm always trying to find who I am, and that's okay. So, what was your journey? Just tell us a little bit. How did you get to this place where you're always trying to figure out who you are? I was defined as a boxer because I fought for 18 years as a boxer, but that definition never stuck well with me. Mm. You know, always in my mind, I was always more than a boxer. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mind. I was always a writer. Mm. In my mind, I was, I was always like, you know, an actor. Mm. And essentially, uh, a fighter, a boxer is an actor mm. because you lie really well. When you get hurt, what do you do? You, you act you hurt. Fake, no, 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 you fake like you're not hurt. Oh, right. Okay, that's if when you're a boxer. Gets I'm hurt, not boxing. I'm not boxing. No, but like, you know, that's the way it is, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we lie to each other, man. Yeah. And like, you know, boxers are some of the best liars uh -huh. in the world because uh -huh. uh, they lie to themselves uh -huh. and they believe it. Uh -huh. They're in a state of denial. And um, so that uh, was a gift to me. That was a gift because to you. Because I, you know, I discovered it myself. Yeah. So now, you know what? I have something here and like, you know, if I, if I shield it, then I'm not doing myself any good at all. Right. And I probably won't end up I'd be damaged. You'd be damaged. Yeah, and let's, and, let's, and let's talk a little bit about that. You also talk a lot in this, in this opening episode. Yeah. There's a lot about your father, and a mm -hmm. lot about the trauma. How did that kind of skew the way you used to look at winning before you realized there's going to be such a greater life after boxing? I had no idea. Yeah. I had, like, you know, I had no idea what, uh, what, uh, what was out there for me after boxing. Mm -hmm. After I got knocked out by Herbie Hyde, I had no idea mm -hmm. that like, you know, I'd find acting. Mm -hmm. Well, acting will find me. Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing with my father, my father, you know, I empathize with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a man who was abused by his father. Mm -hmm. I'm not making, you know, I'm not giving him a pass. No. Nope. Like, you know, I get it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, that's not like, you know, I, I would think that if I was, uh, I have a son who's 14 years old, mm -hmm. and I would never treat my son like my father treated me. Right. But like, you know, I get his past. Mm -hmm. And his past could have directly influenced me in this way or that way. Because, you know, I have demons in me mm -hmm. and ghosts. Mm -hmm. And I get it. But like, I embrace, I embrace my stuff. Right. Come here. Come here. Yeah. Give me a hug, ghosts and demons. <laughs> no, no, no. That's real. Yeah, 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 man. And that you know? allowed you to change it. Because again, you're running a boxing ring. You're an actor. You're a writer. That's right. Mickey, what about doing this series? What about talking to all these incredible athletes who have had to move past from these devastating moments? What did you take away from the series? What did you learn? Well, that despite the fact that we associate all these great things with uh, with winning, 
at all costs. I mean, you see stories all the time of people, you know, cheating to win or, or bribing or whatever. That actually, it's okay. Mm. to have things go sideways. There's nothing more universally human mm. than the experience of things not working out and having to reframe what success looks like. Um, the response that we've gotten from the show is from people who aren't athletes. There's from scientists, artists, uh, uh, teachers, students, who all say that, wow, it's so refreshing to hear people talk about this experience that for so many of us is, is shameful. It's given, uh, and I'm saying for the people that have seen the show and that it resonated with, they say, oh, it's given me permission to talk about these things that have so much stigma attached to them. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful because that creates an opportunity to grow mm -hmm. and to find your true self. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Michael's story speaks to so powerfully is that he challenged himself to find a way that he could build his own identity rather than having an identity put on him, whether it's a, you know, a boxer or a tough guy or, or whatever else. It's, it's, we all have the power to define ourselves for ourselves, mm -hmm. but we need to confront um, this, this ridiculous idea that our lives are gonna be these endless winning streaks where we get the job, get the money, get the girl, get a million followers on social media. It's a ridiculous fantasy and we're setting ourselves up if we think that that's gonna happen. Yeah, we Can are. Can I add something? Yeah, go, please. You know, uh, uh, to add to what uh, Mickey was saying, uh, you know, about my transition, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not here if not for people who believed in me. Mm -hmm. And I have some fierce people who, you know, you know, who believed in me and put their stamp on me. So like, you know, um, that transition that I made, yeah, I made it, but like, you know, not without the help of these really, really like, you know, substantial people. Who could really help support. Yeah. 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 And, and, and pushed me and pulled me. And pushed you to maybe get to this other level. Absolutely. I agree with this so much. This is yes. what I loved about the show, because I did, I really did enjoy it. For me, I have a, a saying, life mistakes are my co-pilot. Yeah. And it, it's That's by it. making mistakes that we maybe find our truer, better selves. Absolutely. Michael, Mickey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much thank for you. making Losers. Thank I really appreciate it. Thank you guys you. can watch Losers. It's streaming on Netflix now. Up next, Syzygy is back for another edition of The Library. This is Good morning, Twitter. Good morning, ladies and gentle thems. The library is open. This is your weekly Drag Race recap. I am not Hayes Brown. Because You're also this not is my the host of the show. Get out of my spot, girl. I'm not gone yet. Don't get fresh. Okay. Don't get well, fresh. Welcome, children. Happen. The library is open, and some people, I guess, forgot who's in charge of the reading. Uh, this week was the Snatch Game. How did you feel about it? Hello, Saeed. It's great to meet you. How have you been? How's your week been? That's fine. Fuck my drag. Um, how do I feel about Snatch Game? Yeah, how do you feel about it generally? Are you excited generally, as everyone else uh, is? No. Me either. Okay. You, you know what? You yeah. know why? Every year, people keep talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Looking forward to it because they know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it gets to it, and yes, with the exception of a few stand-up performances, all in all, people are always kind of like, meh, this was the worst ever. Aside from, you know, a couple of theater queens, and, sure. I, and you know, I, 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 they're all like, Snatch Game! And I'm like, yeah. I, you should be scared, because very few of you are good at it. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to do well. You have to develop a character, right, and, and do that. You have to be funny and make jokes. Mm -hmm. You also have to be able to interact. Yeah. Appearance. That's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of... That's a lot going yeah. on there. So, yeah. well, let's talk about how these queens Whew. did, shall sure. we? Let's start with uh, Plastic Tea. Tiara. Mm. Listen, there's a long history of Asian drag queens on the show. 
ending up playing on Asian stereotypes, either right. because they were told to or because right. they want to. How do you feel about her doing it this challenge? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier on uh -huh. the season, yeah. and, and I still stand by that, you know. But what I will say about Plastique's Snatch Game performance, yeah. um, as someone who identifies as half, you know, Filipino-American myself, um, I say this with a great sadness, but... Asian queens, who are they supposed to fucking imitate? There are wow. no, like, how many Asian celebrities are given opportunities and roles in Hollywood for them to imitate? Right. Like, Michelle Yao is beautiful. Uh-huh. Lisa, or uh, Lucy Liu is beautiful. Right. But what is, what so else even is there? I was trying to think and even like, Sandra Oh. Exactly. Uh, like, and me as, as, like, as half Filipino, like, who the fuck am I going to imitate? Right. Leah Salonga and, like, half of, like, right. Bruno Mars? And remember, what's key with Snatch Game, if it's going to work, is it, it's not just someone you can play. There needs to be someone that the audience members, in particular yeah. RuPaul, uh, knows enough about, and you need mm -hmm. really a deep well of jokes. Yes. So, and I think that's a mistake people make. They realize, like, oh, there actually isn't a lot of material, right? So Which even Crazy Rich Asians, out. you're like, okay, I'll be, like, yeah. a mean mom, and, you know, two minutes in, you've already run out of runway. Yeah. So, yeah. yikes. Well... Good luck, girl. Let's talk about Silky Nutmeg Ganache. Um, I'm not surprised she did well. Um, yeah. She did T.S. Madison. How, how, do you, how are you feeling about mm. Silky Nutmash? Nutmash. Nutmash city limits. Can we you don't tell have I'm write. a little ambivalent about her? How do you feel about her talent? Um, yeah, I'm not surprised that she won. Yeah, um, this, this was suited yeah. for her. I'm a Silky fan. I'm also a T.S. Madison fan, and mm. I didn't really find it, like... Wow, it didn't uh -huh. wow me, but I liked it. She was funny. When she pulled out that like that super ratted long wig and she was like, this is 22 inches. I was like, you know you don't know hair silky because that's like at least 40, but okay. <laughs> or math. Sure, yeah, no, right. That's fine. Um, but I'm excited. What, what I will say is that this episode sort of proved that silky, I think may, you know, I predicted Nina would win last week. Okay. I might have to retract that. I think. Okay. Silky, well, yeah. yeah. I was. So, how are you feeling about Nina West? She's so charming. <sighs> yeah, she's so but nice. It's, there's something a little. Yeah. It's the hips. She ain't got none. <laughs> also, the was, was it Joanne Worley? I think that she imitated when she changed. Like, there was no point to that. I didn't get it. Yeah. Like, I don't like it when all of these girls have been changing up their characters. Like, Bob did it, and now. And Bob, I, and I'm like, no. you're not Bob, y'all. Like, Bob, like, Hi, did it. Hello. And did it. That part. That doesn't mean you need to yeah. do it. Yeah, well, let's take it to the timeline. And this, I don't know if I know the answer to this question for Ooh. myself. Who would you impersonate in the Snatch Game? Ooh, that's a good Who one. would you? Because, I mean, you spoke to, the, the, there are some sure. different challenges there. There so. are, yeah. Um, well, I am not going to embarrass myself on TV because <laughs> I, that is not my ministry. It's just not, I'm not funny. And um, you yeah. Oh, you are very funny. Sai, thank you. I have my mic. I think you're funny looking too. <laughs> Oh, did the, the mic pick that up? It, I think it did. Our mics are pretty hot. Oh. Our mics are pretty hot. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Darren Chris. I hate Sorry, that. Dennis okay. recommended that earlier for me, and I was like, <laughs> Darren Chris. Trash. All right, let's get to the runway, because there were some moments. Um, yeah. Miss Sugarcane, Miss Hit or Miss Sugarcane. Wow. She did, in fact, look quite beautiful. Did the damn thing. That was gorgeous. That was Beautiful, amazing. like eggplant purple. And the theme was sequins, and so she was yeah. giving all that. What'd you feel about her look? I, it really cemented the fact that she should 
be here at this point. Oh, yeah. I don't think she's going to go crazy far. Yeah. Like, she's not consistent, wow. but when she's good, yeah. she's great. She's on, yeah. Yeah, Loving. absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Let's talk about um, Brooklyn Heights reveal. I love Brooklyn. I fully, you know, I, I think Brooklyn has a bright future. Um, and I love the reveal. It was good. But I felt like the, the judges... Does it mean that the reaction was kind of, Now listen, Brooklyn, like, look at this. Uh-huh, serving, serving you, ah, on she the runway. The I live for the runway, but I was yeah. like, the reveal was fine. In terms of the reveal, I like how seamless it was. It was, it was well done. However, okay. as the company PC police of BuzzFeed, oh. I just don't like the optics of going from like a 4C curl pattern uh-huh. into a straight white girl wig. I don't care for it. It's not my, it's uh-huh. not my gig. I was kind of like, ooh, I was glad yeah. she took it. I was glad she took it off. Yeah. I was glad she took it off. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, children, of course, secure your wigs. Spoilers <laughs> ahead. Spoilers ahead. So, this lip sync. Between two of my favorite queens, these are the two queens I actually am really, really rooting for, Evie Oddly yeah. and Brooklyn Heights. Uh, what do you think? Because the, the girls turned it out. They did the damn thing. They sure did. Like, and we were, my talk- neck hurt. we were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. That this is when they need a split screen because I need to see every detail, yes. every point, the flips, the tricks. This is literally what would have happened if on season two, if it was like Sonique versus Sonique. Right. And oh, we got to yeah. see like we yeah. got to see the tricks, but we also got to see like you can be a gymnast and be completely different from another right. gymnast. Yeah, that's one Lovely. thing I loved is that we got to see two different styles yep. of excellence. I mean, Evie yep. was moving and was like, I was like, well, I've never seen that before. Um, and, and Brooklyn's yep. more traditional and more formally trained. It was great. And they both knew the words. The they words. did not sacrifice, you know, the quality yeah. of lip syncing for the spectacle. They did it exactly. all. Exactly, which the song was a great song choice too. Song. And I will say this because um, as someone who's performed on stage with Demi Lovato at Atlantic Barclays with Alp, oh, by the way. Man. Shout out you to know, Alp. You better do it. You better yeah, it was a great let song. them know. Basically wrote it. <laughs> well, of course, in the end, no one was eliminated. Yeah. I feel like they earned. I feel like they earned. Oh, they got their little halo. Oh, come on, Halo. Because they're safe. Enjoy your Good Friday, queens. Um, I feel like it was earned. It was, yeah. And, you know, if if we're going to have a double save... I would love for it to be that one. Yes, because yeah. I mean, I, I just think they're they're both doing really great. Yeah. I look forward to seeing them every exactly, week on yeah. the runway, you know, and I don't just be liking Queens for no reason. Well, anyway. <laughs> he doesn't like me for any reason. <laughs> I have my reasons. Well, Sissy G, <laughs> thank you. A tight corset. <laughs> oh yeah, girl, don't be careful, be <laughs> careful. Uh, the library is officially. <laughs> Where are we? When are we? We made it. We're here. Don't oh do it. We don't have much time. Vanessa, whatever you do, don't listen to her. We come from a dark timeline where there's no water, only tea. You have to listen. To the cat Change it. Change your everything. Change the runway. Change your future. Save the cheerleader. Save the Should we have done more? We could have avoided a third Trump administration. Vanessa, well... Not like Syzygy. Hang on, my question is, what just happened with the future timeline and everything uh, that just happened? Oh God, it's what? from the future? <laughs> <laughs> it was the hat. No, on. I'm running this way. Why are you running that way? What I got to warn Vanessa Mateo. <laughs> Hold on. They said there's no water, only tea. I need this, this for later. Make, I'm thirsty. I appreciate that. There's uh. nothing funnier than watching a drag queen try to run. <laughs> I don't. What happened? 
I, I felt like it was a break in the matrix. Uh, it sure did. It but sure so, did. Vanessa Vanjie Mateo, I think it's fair to say, you in danger, girl? You in danger. And Syzygy's coming with water. Save the cheerleader? Who's the cheerleader? <laughs> Save the cheerleader. I know. Good luck, Vanessa, <laughs> I guess. Well, we asked you what your approach is to listening to the new Lizzo and Beyonce Ooh. albums. And Lily, you are out here risking your life with this tweet. I saw it. Uh, I am really excited for Lizzo's new album. She is my new favorite rapper. I'm a little iffy on Homecoming, though. I don't normally listen to Beyonce, so I need a lot of convincing. A lot. Meg, you showed up at an event I did in LA, and now I'm worried about you. I really like, you're a wonderful, nice person. But you say things like that on the timeline. The beehive is real. Yeah, and they scare me more than Syzygy from the future. And that shit scared That's me. pretty scary. All right, Princess. Be careful. <laughs> Princess Leia tweeted this about one of our fire <laughs> tweets. My parents are the reason I curse so much. So I definitely am that friend who is cursing in the apology for cursing around my friend's mama. Screaming. But with my mom, it is a non-issue. That's so funny. That's also, real. Also, the thing, I felt like when I was growing up, it was like certain curse words were okay. Okay. And certain ones weren't. There was like a line. Yeah, like damn and hell were okay. And I think when I got my first college degree, like fuck was okay under certain, you know what I mean? It was <laughs> like, it was like, uh, uh, was like oh, moves. you got your master's now? I guess you can say shit if you like, hurt your foot or something. You know, you gotta earn it. not gonna get in that it. much trouble. <laughs> I'm into it, I'm into it. Well, yesterday, friends, we asked you to vote on our new Lower Third AM to DM t-shirt, and the winner is Breaking Us. <laughs> uh, buy your shirt now at the link below. There's the link. In a it's, moment, it's, it's going to appear. There, there it is. is. <laughs> um, and don't forget to subscribe to our new newsletter. It comes out every week. And we'll do another t-shirt <laughs> next week. Thank you so much to our guests, Zoe Tillman, Ryan Broderick, Lisandra Villa, Andy Wright, Haley Cohen, Gilliland, Stephanie McNeil, Mickey Duje, Michael Bent, and Syzygy. Thank you, Syzygy. Next week, our guests include Julian Castro, W. Kamal Bell, Elijah Wood, and Damon John. Whoa, that's a great lineup. Cool. Saeed is off on Monday, but Chantal Rochelle <laughs> will be here with me on Monday at 10 p.m. Have a great rest of your day. It's Friday. You did it. Come on on. I got a long weekend Come today join because us. of the Lord. Oh, no! <laughs>